All right, welcome back into the Great Scott Show, sponsored by Suit Up. And it's time to suit up and boot up right now. We got our Saints and Pelicans correspondent, Pro Nola segment, Gus Kattengill on with me. Gus, I was out last Friday, so didn't really get your thoughts on uh, Peyton Turner or the Saints draft. And I hate to sound like a broken record. I, I've tried to, I, I try to refrain from being too in the moment because after all, drafts should be graded a few years from now, not instant grades. But I know fans were uh, in a tizzy. Uh, what? What's your overall take on on the Saints draft as we are now a week uh, a week out from them having drafted Peyton Turner and then uh, about you know six and seven days out from them taking the rest of the guys they selected? It's funny, Scott, because I would say it's changed, um, or I, I would say I would say changed. I would probably say more of you know I, I've tried to look at it from a couple perspectives, and I think that's kind of the. Uh, the way you look at this draft, I think when you look at it in terms of um, it, it's wait and see, it's, it's we'll see. It's um, the Saints are betting that their draft board is one that they can trust in. And I, I think the way you look at it, at least I have, it is, you know, several components at, at first, the very beginning, right. Um, the day of it's, I, I wouldn't say, you know, in a negatory way, but it felt underwhelming to an extent, right? You're sitting there going, um, wow, Peyton Turner, it's kind of a reach sitting there and hearing the the, long, the, the pause you know, on draft night of the pick and somebody grunts on, you know, on the desk. Somebody grunted on the pick. That's not to say that that player is going to be bad just because somebody disagrees with it or not. Um, but you know, 106 prospects, 16th ranked defensive end. Yet you hear Sean Payton, and you know, I mean, everyone else is wrong, um, or they missed it, and they think that they have a steal. Um, you, you look at Pete Werner, and a, a buddy of mine who's a diehard Ohio State fan. I, I mean, they hadn't finished showing a few of his highlights, in which, in the highlights, he doesn't look overwhelmingly athletic or fast. He um, he texts me. He's the third best linebacker of Ohio State. <laughs> I do like Adebo. hasn't played in a year. Um, Ian Book, my my good buddy, is part of the sports information department at Notre Dame. And while he was here at Tulane, when we became friends, he um, became a Saints fan. He's followed the Saints the entire time. He texts me, oh, no, with about 18 O's. Uh-oh. And then you got Ian Book with several laughing emojis. They cover him. He's part of the football coverage, you know, department as well. Um, Landon Young, this team always finds in the sixth and seventh round, a, a Will Clapp, a guy that comes in and helps out. So it is what it is. Um, and I, I actually think it's interesting because in the people that I talked to this week that have covered a team, have gotten everybody's opinion, Scott. Um, Amy just really locks, uh, likes Kawan Baker, a South Alabama receiver that, you know, look, it, it is what it is. It's almost uh, like the way I look at how the Pels should sort of draft. You know, when you have certain picks, look for certain specific things, right? And, you know, here's a 6'1", 215 receiver, and literally the write-up on him is big hands, long arms, good size, very good speed. He's a vertical threat and flashes after the catch. Perfect. That's exactly what this offense needs. They need a guy that can run fast. Like, Harris is that, but he's – you know, he's smaller in, in nature and stuff. And 
whatever. But my point is, so that's like the initial, right, uh, the, the initial day of, and then you, you listen to Sean on Saturday, and all, all, I, all you can hope for and ask from, you know, your team that you root for is that you at least have a plan, right? I mean, we've talked ad nauseum about the Pelicans and what is their plan, and is David Griffin's philosophy actually a sound one? It kind of seems there's, you know, two ideas or ideologies in coaching and, and, and you know, in front office, you play this guy, coach probably wouldn't mind playing another guy, et cetera, which we'll get into. Um, but with the Saints, it's simple. I mean, Sean Payton in two minutes and two seconds went through every draft prospect on Saturday and said, this is the vision and why we drafted him. Um, so, like I said, initially, you're like, huh, okay. And then, give it a day or two, sleep on it a day or two, and then it goes into, okay, well, at least it makes sense. Why does it make sense, Scott? That's their philosophy. That's what they do. Um, size matters to them. <laughs> I don't know how else to really describe it uh, because they constantly talk about it. It's about their prototype. The word prototype and size was used, I would say, 100 times Thursday, Friday, and Saturday in Loomis or Peyton press conferences. Um, that's just who they are. They believe molds are molds for a reason, and more often than not, those molds are going to hit. Comma, Sean Payton likes what, Sean? For you to make the 53 versatility. He says it every year. We hear it every August. He says that the press conference before training camp starts, um, Scott, you're going to play his bite 30 times this August in training camp. For players to make the final 53, if you could play more than one position, you're more valuable. Well, every single player, essentially, that he drafted, he kind of touches on that to an extent, right? Um, obviously, books your quarterback and stuff, but, um, you know, he specifically, Peyton Turner talked about, can he play inside or outside? Well, look, you've seen Davenport play inside, the NASCAR package, things of that nature, versatility. Pete Werner can play inside, outside, things of that nature. Um, football IQ. Is something else um, that is a Peyton staple, right? If you look at what is Sean Peyton look for and do, it's um, versatility, IQ. You hear these players, you can kind of see why they impress perhaps in a um, verbal interview. And Scott, finally, it's the other one, chippiness. A lot of these dudes have the old chip on the shoulder, right? Peyton Turner feels that he hadn't gotten looked at the right way and he – you know, is ready to come out there and show that he is. The guy compared himself to Cam Jordan. You know, he's like, I can't wait to, to see what I can do in those things. And you see his personality. It's different because at first you go, oh, no, it's Marcus Davenport 2.0. After I breathed and, and took another sip of beverage, it's not Marcus Davenport because yeah, just listening to him on Thursday, they're two completely different personalities. And it's by no means just making fun of Marcus Davenport, but he battles with confidence I, I don't know i would say depression or not but he, he speaks of the you know lack of confidence a lot of times scott you and i talked about on your show in the past what was it last year two years ago he blamed the media for what they were writing about him and his behavior he, he just he's in his own head more than anything else i think um that's not peyton turner at all um so that was interesting you, you listen to pete werner he's like dude the saints are ohio state south um and you listen to him, and he's like, I, I'm ready to come out there and prove something. I don't know if he's going to be that flashy guy. Like, you know, I obviously wanted 
you know, Zayvon Collins or something of that nature, but is he a guy who's going to make tackles? Is he your, you know, lunch pail guy? Maybe he's that. And because they ain't got anybody else at linebacker. So can you make a tackle? Um, Adebo, I think, is going to fit great with Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. I've had people try to convince me, oh, you know, he hadn't played in a year. I don't know if you could pencil me in as starter. Mike, who else are you penciling in as starter? Why wouldn't you? Um, the guy has great coverage skills. He has closing speed. And I love how he spoke. He's like, look at my stats, interceptions, pass breakups, however you want to look at it, I can play this. And he was asked favorite coverage. He goes, straight up man. He fits perfectly with the new um, secondaries coach uh, that started the Legion of Boom. So, you know, hey, okay, makes sense. I get it. Ian Book, I don't get. Anyway, Landon Young, (laughs) I said he'd come in and I touched on Kawan Baker. So as the days have gone on, um, it's then progressed to my final conclusion, which is, well, Scott didn't, and haven't I been saying, at least for me, it'd be hypocritical for me to say, hey, I don't think this was a flashy enough draft and all of this, if I've been saying for most of this offseason to you and myself on my show, this is a team that's retooling. Uh, they have to find new players. They have to find you – know, okay, you're finding projects, you're finding projects. I don't think this is a Super Bowl team. I, I'm not expecting it to be. I'm not looking at it that way. I have too many question marks, too many unknowns in a lot of different areas. Um, what are some of the contracts that are coming up with some of these players here? So, you know what? If these picks, if all but two, say, stick on the team – and in a year or two are better than they are, and you wind up getting them at good value, then what? Then you can't say it was a bad draft. I, you know, to, to think that every draft is 2017, and you, you agree with this, huh, Scott? I mean, that's just that's unrealistic. It, uh, so, yeah, just uh, damper your expectations a little yeah. bit. You know, if you if you if you hit on more than half of your draft picks where they're not only on the team but contributing in a big way, then you are in the upper echelon, the top five in the league in terms of just the percentage, right, of of picks you hit on. Now, the numbers are a little skewed because obviously, Gus, as you know, some teams just have more openings on their rosters than others, so your odds of making the team are going to vary place to place. But the point is, ESPN1420.com, the point is I – for all the reasons you said, every draft's important, no doubt. But for the reasons you brought up is this team is retooling right now. This team has work to do. It's, it is an extremely important draft. And I, I know I sound lame or not exciting when I'm not going to just throw a celebration or, or a funeral based on what the Saints did in the draft, but let's decide in a couple of years. It's one thing if you're at the very, very top of the first round or you, what the Saints tried to do, give up a ton of assets to get a player. Like, that is something that you might not be able to judge the player in that moment, but you can judge the decision and at least say, this seems like a little too much. Look at these models. It says this pick is worth this much, all that. None of that happened this year. Yeah, they moved up in the third round a little bit. I mean, that's something they typically do and and whatnot. But in terms of the early part of the draft, despite their efforts, reportedly, they just stayed put and took the guy that, you know, had a high Raz score, which, you know, I, I read about Raz a couple of years ago, Gus, when I was reading an article about um, Jeff Ireland. And so I remember kind of going over to it. I'm like, okay, relative athletic score. 
does all these measurements, been around since 87. But like I didn't, I didn't reference this thing a ton. I didn't. And it's never going to be a mainstream thing with the media unless some talking head makes it cool. Uh, because it's not a year-round thing. It's really just around the draft. And as you know, the coverage of the draft is the build-up to it, the mock drafts, the rumors, the what if this happens, the dominoes would fall this way. But after the draft ends, I mean, you've already got a mock draft for the following year up that night at all the football websites. It's There's not, like, the, the, the amount of coverage of drafts years later and what they were outside of the top few picks is minimal at best, right? So my point is, Raz is never going to be a thing that's trendy or talked about a ton. But I'll say this, in being here in South Louisiana and you being in New Orleans and, and, and you know working every day over at ESPN 100.3 New Orleans, I got more questions, more texts, more emails about Raz this year than I ever have. Now, I think it's just... I think this is kind of isolated. Like, I don't think this is going to become the new thing. But, you know, with 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 the Saints and with Jeff Ireland using it, it almost it's almost like it became an excuse in some ways to say, don't question what they're doing. You know, they have the RAS scores. Okay, well, look at the RAS scores. Some are good, some are bad. You know, they would have never drafted Gus's favorite player of all time, Mark Ingram, if they were using RAS scores back then because his RAS score was awful. You're never going to let that go, are you? You're right. never going to let that I mean, go. I'm, just, I'm just saying, you know, I mean, a couple of Pro Bowls, good running back. But my point is, like, I guess my question to you is, did you hear or get more questions about RAS? Like, what, did you get more questions this year about RAS scores? And do you think this is just kind of a fad right now for Saints fans and that it's, you know, the interest in it among Saints fans will subside really soon? Or do you think that fans will have more interest in this in upcoming drafts, as long as Jeff Ireland is, you know, head of scouting. I think like anything, you can find numbers to support your case and argument to make you feel better, right? I mean, um, I think a lot of this, too, is uh, kind of what you're saying, you know, to, to sort of um, validate your point or, you know, explain your reasoning behind you and, um Look, I'll say this. I had Matty Hudak in from Saints Wire on Tuesday, and uh, I said, all right, let's play this game. Let's play the 2.0 game because I kind of got a sense and feel that um, I like – because I, I felt that, right? Like in this draft, I felt like it was, you know, Anzalone 2.0. Oh, no, it's Davenport 2.0. Oh, no, it's this guy 2.0. It's this and that, you know? And, um, and she brought up – the measurables and the RAS scores of all the previous, you know, people. I mean, Werner was faster, benched more than Anzalone. Uh, the three-cone drill was better, you know, by this linebacker than Jabril Cox, who didn't do it. I mean, just, so there's things you can actually find and do that. And I, again, I, I guess you go to the end of the day to what you're saying, Scott, of, look, you have to probably look at something to try to differentiate these players from one another and different things, especially in a year where, Scott, you had some players that didn't play, especially in a year in which you had um, guys that opted out, you know, as I mentioned, that didn't play a few games, fewer games than they normally would have. Um, There's just a lot of different things. So I think not having as much game tape or understanding of where a lot of these guys are I think probably affected a lot of picks and maybe where they wanted to go or go. So 
Um, look, it's just like anything else where it can be a fad and then you can almost overuse it. I mean, I, I'm going with like, you know, like analytics has seemed to, you know, sort of taken over at the end of the day. You know, I see the, the argument on on Twitter a, a ton of I, I get analytics and a three is more than the two, so to take more threes than that. But do I really want, you know, Bobin or these, you know, six ten, seven foot centers that can barely move shooting threes instead of sitting in a paint, you know, to get shot. So I just think whatever your philosophy is, you're you're going to find a measurable or a matrix or something to support said argument. And I think with that comes all the different uh, elements of it. So is it going to be a fad? Is it going to be something that people focus on more? I think it depends on your argument, right? If you like this player, you're probably going to find something to look at it that way. And if I don't like him, go, well, yeah, well, look, he didn't do this, you know? So I think it's just interesting, man, all the way around when you look at it. Yeah, here's the only thing that, that I can't deny, right? The couple of years prior to Jeff Ireland, I mean, he got there in 2015, but it was in like late February, and they had already done all the scouting for the draft. So if you look from essentially 2016 to now, there have been, there've been some draft misses here and there, but there's no denying that it has been marg- by a wide margin, marginally better than it was at um, you know the, the, the three or four years prior to him getting there. And so for that, you know, if he uses RAS scores and it's, and it's been there. I'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll at least pay a little more attention to it. All right, Gus, few, few more minutes in this segment, and then we'll, uh, we'll take a quick time out. And, and I got to get your thoughts on the crazy Pelicans a little bit. But um, what, what you, you mentioned, Maddie Hudak? I had her on Wednesday, and of course, I said, look, I know you go on with Gus on Tuesday, so tell me something that could maybe trigger him. Uh, and she laughed, and she said. Um, well, you know, just ask him about uh, the Denver game and, and Taysom Hill, and you'll get him fired up. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to do. Uh, Say that again. Uh, she said she's, She said, "Ask him about Taysom Hill and the Denver game, the game plan for the Saints oh, and the it, game at Denver." She said that'll get him fired up. Argument flash discussion, maybe <laughs> even you know, blood, boiling blood pressure uh, at the end of the show. And we never even made it into our cars. I just kind of looking at each other, like, "Are you kidding me?" So, yeah, that's it for sure. It'll set me off. No problem. Absolutely. Just, 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 just you know, Gus is, you know, we, we, he teases the national media that they use Taysom Hills, this talking point to just set things off. And yet here we are. That's what he's doing. I told her she should ask you about Gallo and that could really get you going. But, um, oh, she's, she's well aware of the Gallo. And, and I told you, um, she really got into this, but I, I will tell you about the curse. I've told you about the curse of the dreaded Gallo, right? The curse? Like all the things all the things that have happened. In the last two weeks? And, oh, 48 hours, 24 what? hours after him, and it's just continued. I'm on my third refrigerator repair person So because everything apparently gets broken. My wife's Apple Watch broke while charging on a nightstand overnight, like shattered. That what? was the night after Gallo. The day that Gallo was captured or the next morning, dropping my kid off a, a pebble, literally, like, underneath where the windshield wiper blade, like, the angle it would have had to come in on to then hit the window, to then shatter the window on my windshield, it, I can't even understand how that happened. Like, it's, it shouldn't have hit that part of the windshield. It did, so I got a crack from right to left, all the way, basically a third of my windshield. That's now not working. 
and now his head needs to get replaced. Um, I mentioned the refrigerator, mentioned the Apple Watch. Um, oh, gosh, there's like four or five other things. I'm not kidding you. There's about eight things that have happened that probably if you put like monetary value, it's probably like $1,800 worth of stuff. We hadn't even got to the fridge yet. So add whatever that's costing me already. And I, I have no idea. It's like stuff that doesn't make any sense that is absolutely happening that I've concluded because of the guy. That, that is nuts, bro. Like, yeah. I, I, do you think there's some voodoo stuff involved? Dude, I'm like not even kidding you. I mean, I, I'm being dead serious. Yeah, um, that's no joke. I could list it, and uh, when I when I sat and ah, to think about it, but I'm I'm telling you, oh, oh, and the microwave blew up the next day that the fridge blew Damn up. Damn rooster! Like, you know, kaput. You gotta the find microwave. You, you, all right, like all right, and I'm dude. It was beautiful purple and blue light. Oh no, thing. no, I've never no. seen. You, it. you gotta. You yeah. got to find out what farm this thing is on. You got to <laughs> kill it, and you got to scatter its ashes on the bayou, man. I mean, this stuff is no eh, creeping me out, man. I thought we were done with Gaio. Now I'm really worried about you, well, dude. I I think think the dreaded Gaio is still around, dude. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com is the great Scott show sponsored by Suit Up. All right, speaking of Suit Up, before we uh, before we get back into it with Gus, let me remind you guys about Suit Up. Suit up. You know the drill, right? 3546 Ambassador Caffrey, the absolute best in menswear, locally owned and operated, right here in Lafayette, in the Acadiana area, from a family, right here in the area. It is the absolute best in menswear, right? Whatever your um, you know, whatever your budget is, whatever you're looking for in terms of style, you need something casual, you need something low-key, you need something really nice, you need to rent a tux, you need to buy a suit, specials galore, book a wedding, got something for prom, get something for Mardi Gras. I know that's a ways away, but my point is they got it all, the socks, the shoes, the belts, the pants, the shirts, the jackets, the suits, suit up, suit up. They've got it all. They got that nice southern marsh line. Yeah, they got a whole they are well stocked in that, my friends. The absolute perfect fashion, the perfect clothes to wear. With the spring right now and the summertime around the corner, you want the kind of clothing that's gonna have you look good and feel good. If it's a little hot out, it's gonna cool you off, man. That nice fabric they got. It is one of a kind. Suit up, suit up when you go. Tell them you heard about it from me. I would greatly appreciate it. Suit up located between Lafayette Shooters and Rooms to Go on Ambassador Caffrey. Locally owned and operated, great atmosphere, wonderful customer service. All right, we'll take a quick time out. When we come back, Gus is going to stick with us. We're going to talk some New Orleans Pelicans right here on ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. All right, welcome back into the Great Scott Show, the Great Sports Callers Open Think Tank Pro Nola segment, hour number one. We'll talk about the uh, some Cajun sports, LSU sports in the eight o'clock hour. Cajun softball last night, their game against ULM. More today, all that's coming your way. But right now, I want to spend a little bit of time on the Pels, who are taking on Philadelphia tonight. Who are somehow, some way, despite their best efforts to not be at times still involved in the spot for that 10 spot in the West to play in game. I would not bet on them to get it, but you know, right now they're a game and a half back and you know, one day they look like they don't care. The next day they do amazing things. They are uh Forrest Gump's box of chocolates, Gus. They truly are. You never know what you're going to get night to night. So since you never know what you're going to get, obviously my first question is what do you expect tonight against Philadelphia considering 
they're going to be without Brandon Ingram tonight and possibly longer with that low ankle sprain. Uh, well, I expect is the unexpected because I, I'm with you. I don't know. Um, man, this, you know, the thing about it, too, is what I was talking about a lot this week uh, about this team also is, you know, after that game on Monday, when you saw them, you know, come out against Golden State and – you know, the thing is, and you heard Zion kind of talk about it too, it's not even really whether or not they have the talent or not. It's whether or not they show up and want to play and and want to do it um, like, like they're capable of doing it. And, and we've talked about this. I mean, look, I, I value, you know, what Joel Myers has sort of seen in his career and all the years that he's done NBA basketball. And he told Todd earlier in the season, you know, the graph tells me he's like, you know, they're together after a game one night, he goes, I have no idea what I'm going to call by, by, by the game. And he doesn't understand or, or know which one is what. So um, I, I agree. And, and you don't know. But it's not because I don't think they have some sort of skill level and talent. And the one thing that I find with this team, too, is I week, Scott, I don't know <laughs> how to go about it, how to feel um, about – Building a team forward, I mean, you, you name it, man. It, it's, it's, I don't envy David Griffin from that perspective of, I don't know how you kind of look at it um, in terms of there's certain days that I'm convinced as heck, man, that Lonzo Ball is not a foundational piece on this team. You and I have, may have, have had oh, yeah. a lot of discussions on oh, that. Yeah. Um, we all agree that I think financially is going to be a key when it comes to that. Um but then you look at statistically, right? I mean, two of the last three games, he's had 30-plus points. Is he a shooter? Well, how much are you going to bet that he's a shooter or not? You know, if he's a shooter, then um, then okay. But if he's not a shooter, you know, all of those things. So, I, you know, he has one night like that. But yet I like that he sends Zion a text that, hey, uh, you know, it, it matters to me. Um, my bad, I got you. Um I think it says a lot. He's a guy that's been in the league longer. He's a guy that um, then sort of, though, though he defers, you know, to, to Zion, apologizing to him. Um, and not, not saying like that, but understanding the hierarchy. I mean, he's, you know, the franchise guy. And, but he's also his teammate. I don't think it's coincidental that Zion uh, twice Tuesday after the game brought up the fact that he values – um, that he values um, Zion uh, uh, Lonzo Ball as a teammate. So I think when you look at it from that perspective, uh, that I think it, it, it says a lot. So I think there's a lot of different elements that um, that go into that, Scott. And I think when the, the Pels eventually have to make decisions at the end of the, the season, we'll see where it's at. All right. Well, while we're talking about the Pelicans, Gus, let's let's uh, you know we didn't we didn't we mentioned Brandon Ingram going to be out for a little while. Let's talk about one of the guys that has been out of nowhere a uh, one of the pleasant surprises this year, and that being Najee Marshall, who uh, wasn't on the team to start the season, kind of came in for a little while when they had injuries, and then basically solidified himself as a starter and a scrappy guy that could be counted on. Not the best player on the team by any means, but as an undrafted rookie, 
the upside is there, the effort is there, the basketball IQ is there, and 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 he's been a net positive. I think I'm not trying to suggest he's been a future All Star, but to be a a, a two way forward that then yesterday earns uh, a three year four five point three million dollar deal with next season guaranteed as part of that deal. They've had some guys like that in you know, recent history, like a Kendrick Williams and whatnot, but I, I, I think Marshall's got more long-term uh, sustainability, maybe more long-term fit than some of the other guys that have been in this role in the past with the Pelicans, whether it be Henrich or, or you know maybe 10 years prior to that, Lance Thomas. I, I really like Najee Marshall. Uh, for the kind of player he is. And I would got, look, Gus, I was happy when I saw him get that deal yesterday. I know you feel the same way. My question to you isn't as much about whether you like, you know, the deal on the, on the cheap for a guy that can have that kind of impact. W- what does this mean in your opinion about some, any of the other players on the roster? Can we read into the fact that he's definitely on next year? And if they want him the year after that, in terms of what other moves they may make in the off season. Um, it gives me hope. <laughs> um, look, I, we've talked about it, man, on, on your show all season. I, I, I think successful people realize their failures sometimes or have to be able to see them, right? I mean, it, to an extent, it almost took a Jeff Ireland to come in and, and help out Sean and, and Jeff, give them a new set of eyes when it comes to the draft or talent evaluation, scouting department, et cetera. Um, Sometimes you have to cut bait. Sean's done that with his team. I, I was a little nervous this season because, to be frank, the job David Griffin has done, I think at, at times you, you have to question um, legitimately in, in, in philosophy, you know, from, hey, we drafted Kyra Lewis not looking to play him. I'm like, well, what did you think? You have a playoff roster? Because if you completely overevaluated the one that you thought you had then. From J.J. Redick to, you know, Bledsoe picking the one of the two in the trade that came from the Drew Holly just over and over again. Um, and it, it was tough, I, I think. Um, I've been told from different sources that there's been a, you know, a, a difficulty in trying to adapt to how Stan Van Gundy is with some of the younger star players, not named Zion, um, in terms of, Stan is old school. He values his practice time. He likes practice, and he's harped on it, that that's how you get better, that this is the way that you, you know, learn things. And we touched on it at the beginning of the year when you look at the schedule and you're playing every other day. It's going to be hard for a new team to understand and learn its coach and then try to figure out these pieces. You you look at this year – where you didn't have shooting, you didn't have defense, you didn't have guys that bought in um, in terms of wanting to play hard and focus all the time, which is absurd. We just had that this week. They opened up the first quarter against the Warriors in a playoff game and bleeped the bed. Um, but at the same time, we've seen some good traits to the DNA in terms of the team and good traits that I think need to happen that I that the front office is. I've been saying for three weeks on my show, even with you, you can't end the season without giving Najee Marshall um, a contract. Billy Hernan Gomez doesn't have one at the end of this year. Give him a contract. Um, along the lines of what you just said, what that move means to me is it means, and it should mean to that locker room, that you are rewarded for doing what we say and rewarded for playing hard 
and the way we want you to play. Um, Najee Marshall just busts his tail, you know? I mean, that's how you look at it. The guy just busts his tail. Um, the fact that he from a lower level to be essentially a person that there, there's callers that say, you might as well see if he can start and put him into the, the lineup. That says volumes, man, because there's people on that team that have guaranteed contracts that don't give a bleep. And if you don't show that, and I'm telling you, I've heard that, that New York game when, you know, Bledsoe admitted to not being focused, cost him a game, and then started the next game. Yeah, like, message. what are we doing? Right. Wrong message. Right. So, you know, I, I applaud Griffin for this. Um, standing O to Marshall for earning it. And I also think it means that Josh Hart isn't going to be here next year. Oh, don't say that. He is that. Josh Hart. Oh. He is Josh Hart, but cheaper. Oh, yeah. I, oh God. Don't. Now you're hurting my heart. Um, I know. I like right. him. I like him. I like his heart. But are you going to pay him? Uh, I, I think I think with regards to Hart and Lonzo, you let the market set itself, then you make a decision. Uh, you do not bid against yourself in either case. Um, that's that's not a story. That's a fact, and I'm never backing down from that. Will they do it? I don't know. I, I like I like what you're saying about reading into this in terms of you really want to establish a culture, reward the guys that need to be rewarded, and. You know, you could talk about that New York game, which was just one of several atrocious finishes where they had no business losing a game yet, just found creative ways to do so. Um, and in the end, that that could be the difference in getting an extra game or not. You know, the Pels are – I do not. I would not bet on the Pels being in the play-in game just because they've shown me too much this year to, to doubt them, right, to doubt that they can get it done and, and, and win enough of these games in their final six, which five of which are on the road – well, let's just play the exercise because I know fans are doing it, and I know you have as well, Gus. They trail the Spurs by one and a half games. The Spurs are playing lousy. The Spurs have a tough schedule left at Sacramento, at Portland, Milwaukee, at Brooklyn, at the Knicks, two games against Phoenix. Um, it, the Pels could very well lose out via tiebreaker against San Antonio or by a game, not get into the, quote, play-in game, and you can look back at so many games where they just blew it, and you mentioned Bledsoe of, yeah, I wasn't paying attention in the huddle. Yeah, I just screwed up. Yeah, I just messed up. I mean, in, in terms of the guys that are leaving it all out there, there is no doubt when Marshall plays where you say to yourself, that guy's, that guy's not trying. You know, that guy's hot-dogging it. That guy's just not fully zoned in. You've never said that once. And even though his ceiling isn't nearly as high as other guys on that roster, and I, you're not expecting him to turn into an all-star. You didn't give him a, an extension worth $15 million. You know, he's got one extra year left after this one. It's about, you know, what you would pay a guy that started out as a two-way player. But you still are rewarding him. And that kind of deal, you know, m- means, means everything to a player like Marshall who's just trying to break into the league. And, and be a part of the union and, and, and get accredited season so he can eventually get a pension and get, you know, life-changing money. Whereas, you know, you're making low six figures as a two-way player. Suddenly, you know, you're, you're up there in the seven figures now and you've got a guaranteed roster spot next year. Reward the guys that are out there busting it as hard as they are. And, uh, and, and I'm kind of with you. That yesterday when I saw that deal, I was happy for him. I thought he earned it. But I thought more or less, okay, at least – you know, you've been you're talking about accountability. This is kind of the positive side of accountability, right? The reward side of accountability. And I'm glad they did it. 
Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, one of the things, too, Scott, is, and that's why you heard me throw in uh, Billy Hernan Gomez as well, um, because of Steven Adams battling with injury here and there, and, and that contract, such an albatross. I like him. You know that. But when you look at the, the contract, you look at the lack of offense, and, and look, I'm not, and by no means am I saying that I think, you know, Hernan Gomez is your starter and all that, but I, it, it's cost-to-production ratio, right, that you weigh. And if you even – and it, it, it comes down to what I started earlier with this. Lonzo Ball, if you're going to tie up 25 to 30 or 20, no. that's three players – between him, Zion, and B.I., that you've essentially locked your budget with, it limits who else you can bring in with this dream of, you know, free agents and do this and that and, you know, difference-making free agents. Like, Zach Levine might be available next year. Well, Zach Levine is going to cost you, you know, and you've got to convince him to come first. But all those things. So that's something you have to understand in way. So – you know, I think I, I think if you're David Griffin, you have to look at it as, how, can I win a championship or can I beat the Lakers? Can I beat the Warriors? Can I beat the Jazz with said guy on this squad, right? And, you know, Steven brings me rebounding, toughness. I, I like him. He's a good locker room guy. The limits on offense. Can I find similar, substantially less, to that I can then apply that money to Delonzo, and then I'm not hurt because that money I'm using right now, I'm just giving Delonzo next year. So we're kind of where I'm at now. See what I'm doing there? Or um, you don't use both of those guys, and then you have money to really spend. But are you sure with that? So I, there, there's a lot of decisions to really make, Scott. I, I think you can make a case and argument for several. Um, I think money does matter, though, but I, I think, like, we're talking about with Najee, him and Hernan Gomez, guys like that, you reward. Um, I know there's always a focus. I know a big thing yesterday morning on first take was, are the Nets likable? You know, people in the league don't want the big three for, you know, Brooklyn to win and all this. Yeah, look, that's that's not the, the standard. I mean, it, it's rare. Had it in Miami. They tried it in L.A. You have two really good guys. Brooklyn's trying their three. Golden State did it. You can name the teams. Not every team can do it. So you're going to have to build a good basketball team. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I, we can have another show on, I can make the case and argument that Zion is the one guy in the starting five right now that I would build around and everybody else I can trade or, or move on from, including Brandon Ingram for, for some reasons. So um, – this is far from a finished product, and there's a lot of pieces that need to happen. So I think you you explore everything, but you're going to need guys like this. You're going to need guys that are hungry. You're going to need guys that can provide off the bench in case of injury or maybe even earn their way to start. So I love the signing. I And, and like I said, I think Billy Hernan Gomez is absolutely next that I would – the season's not ending. I'm not letting anybody else get them um, because of that. So, um, you know, guys like that, James Johnson's come in and provided a veteran, you know, thing like that. So while I didn't like the early, I guess, moves from David Griffin, I, I would say the 
mid to late season <laughs> moves from David Griffin have made me feel a little bit better about David Griffin. I think at the end of the day, as we wrap up this conversation, Gus, um, you want to see them learn from the mistakes and not compound them because you just want to be so right about something. And, and whether it be Lonzo Ball or the trade for AD and how badly Griffin wants his initial um, uh, view of what this roster could be or be constructed look like and, well, I got this back in that trade, now look at all of them. And all, all of these things, it's like don't compound one mistake with another. Learn from it. Like you said, it's far from a finished product, and I think that's where a lot of the nerves might start to come from. And I guess you're still nervous, but maybe a little less nervous with the Marshall thing. Time will tell, but uh, it's, you know, the offseason's here. I think it's going to start after May 16th. Some think they might be in the play-in game. Let's let's just let's talk next Friday. And re- I, I, I didn't want to spend a lot of time on that because I just don't think they are. But uh, let's talk next Friday. We'll have a better idea if they're completely out of it, if it's, if it's, if it's even if it's, in the mix. Um, Gus Catton, yo, guys, check them out. As always, ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans, noon to 3 p.m. weekdays, the sports hangover, one of the best shows in this state or any state. He's been doing it for years. He's as good as it gets. And uh, at GCAT underscore one seven on Twitter, great follow, great content there. Always appreciate the time, brother. Uh, all the best to the family, and let's chat again next week. Sounds good, Scott. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. You got it. That is Gus Cattengale. Up next, the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show. Andrew Clay will join me out the gates, talk a little Cajun softball and baseball. Their outlooks from a pitching standpoint, the conference tournament and possibly beyond. A recent LSU transfer. Could he end up at UL? Andrew's got some thoughts on that, on the Pels as well. Phone calls after that. More on Aaron Rodgers' situation. It's all coming your way. Don't go anywhere. The 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show is sponsored by Suit Up continues right after this.